is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning. morning. It's nice to see you all. Thank you. I'll hear that. Thank you very much. Very good. Right, so this morning um, I um, have been asked to talk about uh, the subject, your personal foundations. Um, And foundations are vital, you know, in a building. Good foundations give you stability and they shape what structure can be put on top. Um, And the most vital foundation in our lives is knowing and living in the good of our identity in Christ. And as I've preferred this subject, it's done my heart good. Um, Just sitting there thinking, wow, this is an amazing subject. Um, And if you've never really heard anyone talk about this, then I'd really recommend you do. Um, Because whilst I can share all sorts of things this morning, I'm not going to get everything into the time that we have. We've already spoken on this subject before at Jubilee. Naomi did a great session on it for our Pursuing His Presence series. And I've posted on the website later today some links to other talks that are really good. I'm not going to hit all the things that they do, so it would be good for you to listen to that as well. Um, But there's some stuff that I felt God speak to me about really specifically for this morning. And so I'm going to share some of those things now. And before I do that, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I just ask this morning that you'd help me communicate the things that you've put on my heart to share this morning. Lord, that they would land in people's lives, that we'd see breakthrough for people. Uh, where we need breakthrough in our lives. God, as we've been sharing times in our lives that you've broken through, God, would you do that again this morning, God? In Jesus' name. Amen. So, identity determines destiny. And that's a massive claim, but we can see that that played out in Scripture. If we get our identity wrong, we can end up with wrong priorities. We can make poor choices we can derail our lives and even our faith. And Moses' life was completely transformed once he realized his true identity. Hebrews 11:27 says this, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses thought he was Pharaoh's grandson, but He wasn't. You see, learning our true identity does two things. It gives us courage to let go of our past and gives us courage to walk into the future. When you receive Jesus by faith, God forgives your sin. He also gives you a whole new identity in Christ. And some people call that being born again. But it's a fresh new start, a clean slate, a new destiny. So... What part of your past do you need to walk away from? When do you find it most difficult to keep your eyes focused on Jesus? And if there is, what specific step can you take today to move into your God-given destiny? Tozer, in his excellent book, The Pursuit of God, says that the throbbing heart of New Testament religion is the continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the redeemed person. 
Western Christianity over the last few centuries has become so focused on the point of salvation and the exchange that happens at that moment, the day I was saved. But salvation is never meant to be an end, but a beginning. The beginning of developing an intimate relationship, pursuing, taking in, beholding the glorious riches that Christ has made ours. We're meant to understand that this relationship is fathomless, it's measureless. We're never going to plumb the depths of God's riches for us. Moses, Tozer says, used the fact that he knew God as an argument for knowing him better. We see that in Exodus 33. And Paul confessed that the thing that was infinitely valuable in his life, the goal of his heart, the thing he'd sacrificed everything else for was to know Christ. Philippians 3.10 Augustine says this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. God meant for us to see him, to live with him. That's what Eden, Eden shows us, that we're meant to draw our life from his very presence, his smile. And we seem to have forgotten that privilege, the privilege of knowing and consciously experiencing God's presence in our daily lives. We've boiled it down to a theory when it's meant to be a glorious reality. It's not that we believe we're in God's presence in a sort of positional sense, like I believe it. We're actually meant to know God's presence. The veil has been removed by Jesus' death on the cross. There's nothing, there's nothing on God's side preventing us from entering his presence. So the question remains, why do so many of us, me included, choose to remain outside? Our privilege is to enter in. Toza goes on to say, to most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence. It's an adequate deduction. He remains personally unknown. To many others, God is an ideal, another name for goodness or beauty or maybe truth. He's law or life, the creative impulse, part of the phenomena of existence. But all these ideas have one thing in common. They don't know God in personal experience. The possibility of intimate acquaintance with God has not even entered their minds. While we may admit his existence, they do not think of him as being knowable in the sense that we know things or other people. We can think of eternity as something in the future, but we're meant to experience God's presence now through the work of Christ. If we pursue God, we will be successful because he is forever seeking to manifest his presence amongst us. And this will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of God's face, like Moses experienced. When we lift our inward gaze to God, we're surely, we'll surely meet friendly eyes gazing back at us. And that's our privilege in Christ that God looks upon us as though we are Christ. Jesus covers us. We're free to enter in. Faith was never meant to be something we did once. 
but a continuous gaze on God. Salvation is the restoration of that right relationship between us and our Creator. So why is identity important? I think I've talked a little bit about that already, but we define identity as who we are. It shapes the way we think about ourselves, the characteristics that define us, and the way that we're viewed by other people. It gives us our sense of self and worth. We feel significant and confident in our own value. When people are confident in that, in their value and in their identity, we say they have real identity. Our culture suggests that it comes from feelings. And people can often say, this is who I am, you decide who you are, or you be you, is quite a popular thing to say at the moment. But when your identity comes from career, athleticism, relationships, cash, your abilities, all of these are good things, but they can crush us. Someone will always be better off than us, or we'll spend our day comparing and crushing others because they're worse than us, or we're in a much better, smarter place than that person. We can't bless ourselves. We can't name ourselves. We need the recognition of others, someone outside us to speak over us. And that's not how our world thinks about identity. But we are relational beings. That's how God made us, to be in relationship with one another, with him. However much we don't need it, we, do, we don't like it, we do need the approval of others. Society thinks we can self-identify, but, identify, but actually that's just rejecting one set of person's thoughts about us and thinking, I like what they say about me, I'm going to trust that. So if someone has to name us, who should have this honour? I think you probably can answer that question, but I'll keep going. <laughs> we need the love, approval, esteem of someone we esteem to have self-esteem. So they shouldn't be someone who can let us down, because what happens to our self-worth if they do? They shouldn't be fickle, so it shouldn't be based on how well we're doing. Do you agree? So then if we need the esteem of someone we esteem, someone who adores us, and we know that God loves us, wow, <laughs> the Lord of the universe loves me, loves you. Doesn't that give us the most powerful basis for stable identity? A love not based on how well we're doing that day or in that moment. So it's not only is it stable, but we don't need to crush other people to feel that love either. Philippians 3.20 says, we are adopted into God's family. We have a new identity. We are citizens of heaven. We are now united to Christ. Thank you, Tim. 1 John 3.1-2 says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. But this can be a bit abstract, head knowledge, impersonal. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't just show up and give us a new name. He doesn't just tell us we are his. He dies for us. It's life-giving identity. Identity. 
How do we receive it? By believing that he died for us. Jesus said this, I lay down my life for my sheep, my followers. So we've got to reform the way we think about ourselves, even in the midst of our culture's concepts, which are, are competitive, unstable, and exclusive or crushing. Jesus went through the excruciating pain of the cross, lost all reputation, was cursed, so that we can know and be secure in our identity. Creation groans for us to get this, to understand this, to know who we are and to take hold of this new identity. So how are you getting this hard-won identity rooted in your heart? One way I would encourage you to root this in your heart is by reading these little cards this week and keep doing it. They remind us that we're completely accepted. We're extremely valuable. We're eternally loved. We're totally forgiven. And we're fully capable. And it's got the Bible references that tell us those things. And on the back, if you've got really good eyesight, you'll be able to read them too without having to look them up in your own Bible. Um, I've got a bit of a story about this, which is mildly amusing, perhaps very amusing for everyone else. When I was born, my parents named me after my grandmother's cousin, John Walton. Then they added Davidson, and my surname is Ash. During the first month of my life, my parents felt God speak to them about giving me another name as well. Uh, and the fact that my name should be David as a prophetic statement. The name John means Yahweh is gracious or graced by God. The name David means beloved, dearly or much loved. And the name David became so much part of who I was that when I arrived at secondary school and the teacher called out my name, I went, oh, isn't that funny? There's someone else here with the same surname as me. How weird. And the room was quiet and everyone was looking at each other going, who's this person? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wait a minute. Maybe they're talking about me. And it got worse. Um, I'm dyslexic, never written the name John down before. Turn to the person next to me, say, uh, how do you spell John? So not only had I completely messed up, yeah, that's me, I'd also then turn to them and said, I can't spell it. Um, little did my parents know how much I would need to know that I was beloved of God. I needed to know that God wasn't just gracious towards me, but that he, without a doubt, loved me, dearly loved, and that I was loved by my parents as well. Every time I'm asked my name, it reminds me that God gave me a new name. And I introduce myself as David because that's the name that I know and don't even respond to the other name. I have to use it legally sometimes, but I'm David. One final aspect that I felt God speak clearly to me about for us to grasp this morning is to avoid... We need to grasp this to help us avoid feeling deeply frustrated and it surrounds the plan God has for our daily lives. So often 
we can live with a feeling that a better day is coming, that when we'll shed, shed mortality and the bothers of this life. And to the extent that is promised, but it's founded on the lie that there's a separation between sacred and secular things. But you won't find that in the New Testament. God accepts the offering of our whole lives. There's no distinction made. Paul calls us to do all to the glory of God, and that isn't piety or idealism. It's integral to understanding of what, of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Every act of our lives is or can be as sacred as our best prayer. It can be because we have consecrated our lives to God so that our whole selves can be an expression of worship. We're all his. The offering of our whole life is acceptable. Nothing we are is rejected. So our daily mundanity can now be seen as acts of worship. Our enemy will remind us we give the better part of our day to worldly things, to washing up, hoovering, maybe, um, making money, providing for ourselves or our families in some way. That only a tiny proportion of our days can go to prayer or worship or activities we think are the things that are hev of heavenly interest. But God is in our simple deeds. And as we find him there, our lives will take on new purpose. So live out your calling. Work where you have ability. Serve with all your heart as though it's to God. As God sanctifies us, all we do is good and acceptable to him. The very act of living our daily lives can become the same as an act of worship to the king. Tozer says, it's not what a person does that determines whether work is sacred or secular. It's why it's done. That division is a lie. It's, an attitude, it's the attitude of our heart that matters. You could be a missionary but never bring glory to God because you never gave it all to him. But you could be a doctor, a student, a cleaner, an engineer, a musician, an actor, an artist. You could care for children, whether they are your own or others, and give it all to him for his glory. You need just as much of his presence to be a light where you work, where you do your day-to-day -day as a preacher or a pastor. Your function, your role might be different, but if you're doing it for God's glory and in his strength, it will be like a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. It's all worship if our attitude is right. So do what he has called you to, no matter where you work or how you fill your day. You can see it as your mission field. Know that God rejoices as you work out your faith with fear and trembling. I'll come back to this in a bit. God created our physical bodies. We were always meant to work. Adam and Eve were to tend the garden. It's good, for, <clears throat> it's good for our bodies to work or to put our minds to study or to have hobbies and interests that we, that we spend our day in. We're created to use them for God's glory, for our enjoyment and to bless others. So be inspired. Ask God for inspiration, for guidance, for wisdom as you go about your daily life, wherever that is. So how should this identity relate to our daily actions, how we act? We're called to treat one another in, and everyone in the way that God treats us. And if we hear this, that will transform our relationships. 
We should accept one another, show respect to one another, even those we totally disagree with. We're called to show kindness and mercy and forgiveness to everyone, even our enemies. We're called to, enjoy, to encourage the gifts God has put in each one of us and to help draw them out of one another. So as you read those five aspects of identity that I mentioned earlier, consider how they relate to the way that you interact with others. Lord, I just ask as we come to a close that you would pour out an awareness of your love and your identity on people today. There's some things I felt God wants for us to pray for this morning. Some people here that I feel that God would want to respond and for us to pray for you. And if um, you hit one of these categories or feel God speaking to you about them or anything else that I've shared and you want prayer for them, then, then please do stand in a minute. I believe God wants to say, well done, that you've been faithful. There's at least a few, a, a few people in the room that need to hear that. Well done. You've been through tough times, but you've remained faithful. I'm with you. I'm pleased with you. You might get to the end of this talk and feel unworthy still of the things that I've spoken about. But if you have accepted Christ, then God is your Father and he places great value on you, so much so that Jesus gave his life for you as well. Live in the good of his love. It's not based on your performance, how well you're doing at the moment, how well you've done in the past, how well you'll do tomorrow. Be released from that anxiety. Don't take back ownership of the sin that Jesus has wiped clean. There's a great verse that says, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Out of this, there's a call to work or to do all that you do to the glory of God. And if you feel you need fresh commissioning this morning back into your work or the thing that you do with your day and fresh vision to see it and to give your whole life to him, then I'd love to pray for you as well. We'd love to pray for you. I also believe that God wants to restore some identities today. I feel that there's at least one person who woke up this morning thinking, I don't know who I am anymore. And that might be because of a change of circumstance. It might be because of a loss of a loved one or a relationship or a friend. It may be that your role is different now than it was before. And whether that's a role at work or in your personal life, you just don't know who you are anymore. I want to pray for you so that God can speak into your life afresh and show you the things that he's called you to in this season. So I think if um, any of those things have sort of struck a chord in you, could you stand now so that we can pray? And I'd just encourage one another to pray. We're going to, could the band come back and, and help us in that?
Shall we all stand? Can we pray for... Can people around this, this gentleman here, can, would they be able to pray for him? Just behind you there, Martin. Lord, we've tasted of your goodness this morning. <laughs> You've reminded us who we are in Christ throughout this time. Lord, we are a privileged people and we're thirsty for more of you. We're ashamed when our desire has dwindled. Lord, we want to be thirstier still. Lord, would you show us your glory this morning? God, as we respond to these things, Lord, would you show us your identity, that you've, the identity that you've given us in Christ? Would you remind us more of who you are? God, would we be more aware that we are your children? Lord, that you've called us to the things that we do in our day to day. God, as we sing now, Lord, would you come? Would you speak? Would you reveal? Would you encourage? Would you equip us to go into our day to day life and know your goodness, know your spirit on us? Know that. Each thing is, a, is an act of worship to you as our attitude is right, Lord God, as we submit our lives to you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.